Welcome to the New Life Millbrook Weekly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit nlmillbrook.com. Well, good morning, everybody. Our, our sound team is really quick to put photos on the screen out of nowhere. So, all right, so to jump into our sermon today, this is a photo of me oof, as a senior in high school. I, I, I know young people, this is, this is something to, to live up to. Um, but at this, uh, at this moment in my life, my dreams were to go to college, um, hang out with my friends, hopefully get a degree, um, uh, probably in computer science, it was business management, uh, going back and forth. And this photo was taken the spring of 2001, I know, 800 years ago. Uh, it, to be honest, at this season of, the, of my life when this photo was taken, I had zero desire to be in ministry. Uh, what I didn't realize, though, was 90 days-ish after this photo was taken that uh, my world would be turned upside down, and that I would find myself face-to-face with a new reality. N- yep, okay. Many times in our lives, we have those same moments. We have the moments where it seems like the longer that we live, the chances are greater and greater in our lives, where uh, we have these moments that reshape our lives. These moments that take our, our lives on one direction, and it's going very singular this moment, and then it seems like something happens, and it shifts. It abruptly shifts in our lives, and, and maybe it's uh, a major sickness in your life, and everything changed. Maybe it was a pregnancy, and everything changed. Maybe it was a death of a loved one. Maybe um, it was uh, a divorce. Whatever it may be, losing a child. In 2020, we had a great interruption. In 2020, everything shut down. You planned on going to school, you no longer went to school. You planned on having a job, you no longer got to go to work. You, you planned on going to uh, vacation, everything shut down. The entire world, not just in our area, the entire world shut down. It's just now getting back to somewhat normal and, and it interrupted everything. And here's the weird part about that, that visual, if you can, of, of, of what took place in 2020, the, the, the COVID pandemic is is that no one did anything wrong to deserve the shutdown, but it all shut down. It was the entire world stopped. We have moments in life where a war has broken out, and in that very small section of the planet, the world has stopped. But our lives keep going. Right now, the people of Ukraine, their world is still engulfed in war. And we talked about it, and we tweeted about it, and we posted about it for 60 days. But our world kept spinning. We still went to work. We still had our, 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 our dinners. We still had our vacations. We still had our date nights. We still had all those things. While their world stopped, our world kept going. But what took place back then in 2020 was everybody's world stopped. And it changed how we view everything. It changed how we view politicians. It changed how we view healthcare. It changed how we view the importance of whether or not we were an essential worker or just a peon that didn't have to go to work. I was a peon, so I hung out at Walmart all the time. So it was great. And, and when we're younger, we don't think. Pete, at that age of 17, wasn't thinking about his life changing outside of his control. We have big dreams. We have big visions. The world is ours for the taking. But it seems like moments come, both good and bad, that shake us to our core, that stop everything. And if you have uh, any years in your life, you understand that things happen. Things shake. Things shift. Plans change. If you don't know you're old enough, you start counting the rings on your elbows, and you know that if you've you've had those moments. Today we're going to talk about a young lady that was interrupted by God. Picture this in our culture today. Um, you have a, a, a young teenage girl. And this is the weird thing, um, is, is that we live in a world now where most everything is acceptable. Most everything is okay. Most, even the things that we once deemed were bad situations are now your hero. Uh, and you're bold and you're tough and you're all these things. But picture a world back in those moments where God interrupted this young lady's plans. 
to make matters worse, this young lady finds out that she's pregnant. Um, to add on to that, she's betrothed, or what we would call engaged. And, and I think a lot of times we, we lose the connection here to Mary. We, we see the paintings of Mary, and we see the, the portraits of Mary, and she's pregnant, and she's happy, and everything is great, but we lose a little bit. Can you, can you come on up for just a second, sweetheart? We, we lose the connection if we, we do. How old are you now? 13. Every major historian will say Mary at this moment was between 12 and 14 years old. So picture this beautiful young girl going home to mom and dad and saying, funny story, I met an angel and he told me I'm going to have a baby. It's crazy for me because somebody can be 18 years old, graduating high school, going into college, find out they're pregnant and it changes their life. Imagine 13. Imagine a 13-year-old completely changed for the rest of her life. This is the visual image of Mary. Young. The world is her oyster, if you will. She's got plans. She's got futures. And at 13-ish, God changed everything. Thanks, sweetie. It gets to the point in her life where she's betrothed. Now, for those of you guys who don't understand what this means, she is engaged, but it's not like a engagement today. An engagement today is, is you get on one knee, you ask somebody to marry you, and they're fantastic, and then you, get, you put a ring on the finger, and then you plan for this wedding. Um, at any given moment between that moment and the wedding day, you can say, hey, I'm out. This is no longer working for me. Toss me the ring back, and we, we go our separate ways. Maybe you cut your hair. Maybe you lose some weight. Maybe you gain some muscle. Maybe you change your wardrobe. Maybe you move on. You move on. It's just everything is like, oh, I'm going to fix myself and discover myself, and we're going to move on. The, the issue at hand in Nazareth at this time in history is it wasn't just two people getting married. It was two families coming together. And from the moment that she was betrothed to the moment that the ceremony is taking place, by all rights and legalities, her betrothed man, Joseph, owned her as his wife with everything except for living together until the ceremony was complete. And the big reason what they would do in this gap is that they were teaching young Mary how to be a wife, how to cook, how to clean, how to, to make a house, how, how to do all the household things, how to be a mom, all of those things, because her roles from that moment on was to take care of the home, to make the food, and to give her husband boys, to keep the family name going. Those are the big three. And so now, from 12-ish on, mind you, Mary, at this season in her life, where we're not talking about 2022, where everybody goes to school, is most likely illiterate. She can't read. She can't write. She has to memorize everything. There's no formal education for her outside of how to be a housekeeper. Her education from the time she's born to this moment in her history is how to cook, how to clean, and how to make things. That is her, that's her studies. So now... Sure, they have heard of God doing things. They've heard of angels. They've, they've gone to synagogue. Most likely at this season in Nazareth, there, it is a very, very small town. It's big now, but back then it was very, very, very small. They would have a synagogue. They would most likely have somebody that was a, a roaming rabbi that would come in and do something here and there. But by and large, they took care of themselves, and it was a small community. Most people think it's probably in a couple of hundred without technology, without anything. And in our world, something big happens. There's a scandal in your life. Again, you cut your hair, you lose some weight, you get in a car, you go to college, you go far away, and you start over. Mary is 12. How is she going to start over? We, we, we lose the connection to this story as, oh, okay, Mary gave birth to Jesus. At 13-ish, her responsibilities now go from being a wife to mothering the creator. And she knows it. Like, it would be one thing if, like, later on in life, Jesus is like, hey, BTW, I'm God. But from the moment <laughs> the angel said that the spirit will overshadow you to the moment Jesus dies on the cross, she knew who he was. And can you tell me that responsibility wasn't heavy? Imagine yelling at God, spanking God, 
Whatever it is that you're going through your head, like, he's a baby, like, babies do baby things. And it's like, think about this. Like, did I hit him too hard? What happens if she, like, accidentally drops him? Does she hear thunder? She lost him one time. Yeah, exactly. She lost him in a foreign country. <sighs> that was stress. How do you lose God? For days. We're not, listen, straight up. I've had those moments where Malachi or McKenna has walked away at a, at, a, at a store and you're like, there's that 30 seconds of terror. And they're just like, you hear them talking really loudly because my daughter doesn't understand depth of volume. And whether she's talking two feet from you or 200 feet, it's the same decibel. And, and so you hear her, you're like, okay, she's okay, there it is. Uh, but we're talking days, days in Egypt. Breaking off an engagement today is, is embarrassing. It's whatever it, you know, you're going to go through in life. Breaking off a betrothal back then, you would deem yourself a social pariah and based on the fact that she was pregnant, deemed her, ready for this, completely eligible to be stoned to death. You know what's crazy? Is if they were to stone her to death, her family had to watch. Let it be a sign and a wonder to all. The word that I want to go with today is that God interrupted Mary's plans. Interruption by itself literally means to break into something. It's to interrupt. It is to break into something that was once steadfast. And we blow past this idea of Mary being pregnant, and it's a cute story, and it's a wonderful thing, and that the angel looks at her and said, blessed are, are you, Mary, favored above all women. That's got to be embarrassing. There's so many other women on the world, and you, you look at a 12 and 13 and go, like, she's the best. She, favored above all women. Favored. Can I tell you, sometimes being favored with, by God means being unfavored with others? A betrothed teenager who was pregnant before her wedding date was not exactly the woman that would find great favor in her community. And it doesn't matter that Joseph kept it going. In fact, Joseph was a wise man. He was a, a, a wonderful man, and it says that he was going to put her off quietly. I don't care. How, how small your town is, when everybody lives in the same area, you're going to notice somebody's pregnant. He's going to put her off quietly, not stone her to death. And that was an honorable thing. I'm not going to murder you. So there's that. But here's the problem that we're running into is that even though that Mary wasn't going to break off her engagement with Joseph, you're going to tell me that people still didn't talk? Okay, her and Joseph stayed together. Sweet, let's move on. She, you don't think she had some explaining to do? Okay. How about you? She comes home and tells you, by the way, Dad, I'm pregnant. That's God. You love your daughter with all your heart, and I know you do, but you're going to be like, mm, really? How long did it take for her parents to go, well, maybe it is? Or did they ever? In fact, there's only one other time we know a family member rallied around her, and it was Elizabeth. That was it. In other words, when God favored her, it created unfavor with everyone else. And I think for me, well, one of the biggest things that I want to look at in this Christmas story is that I continually pray for God's favor, and maybe I don't want it. I want God's blessings, because there's a big difference between being blessed by God and favored by God. Because if you're going to be favored by God, you have to be willing to be interrupted by God. Because if you're praying for his favor, you're begging for his interruption. We like the idea of God's favor as if it's an icing on the cake versus it is a life changed. 
Her being favored by God meant that everything and everyone potentially turned their backs on her. God bless me, favor me. Hey, I don't know if he wants you to. And here's the, here's the kicker when it comes to me, is that you're, you're dealing with this lifestyle now at, at 12 and 13. And, I, and listen, we've been a part of the school. We've had 12 and 13-year-olds come through new life. We've, had, you know, we've got seniors here now. We've got people who, and you know what's crazy? When somebody talks about you, it's no fun. I'm almost 40. I still hate it. And putting that social pressure on a 13-year-old, not just somebody's talking about you, but you know they hate you, and there's only one person that accepts you, and you're not even sure half the time if he believes you, and that's Joseph, because he had a dream, and he's thinking maybe it was pizza. I don't know. But you're watching this whole thing, and she's carrying a burden that we would call favor. Because favor is a burden to carry. I pray for God's favor as long as it means that I get new things and don't lose anything. I pray for God's favor as long as it looks like what I want and how I want it. I pray for God's favor when everything works out exactly the way and I get promotion and I don't lose anybody and everyone's celebrating me all the time. But, but what if God's favor means that people are going to talk about you? What if, what if God's favor in your life means that people are going to walk away from you? What if it means that God's favor in your life means you're going to be alone for a season? It doesn't sound very favorable, but when you look at when God shadows people, he takes a man named Abram and tells him to get away from everything and everyone you know and go to a country. You're favored. Start over. That doesn't sound like fun. Joseph was favored. Hey, you're a winner. Go into prison. You're going to be accused constantly, but you're favored. Because favored means God interrupts and God changes everything. And I, and I guess for me, the big question that we start off with when this season of Mary, favored woman, is how much favor can I handle before I say no more? How much of God's interruption will I allow before I don't want any more God? How uncomfortable can I get in his plans before I go, no more? I can't handle any more favor, God. Because favor doesn't equal gold bars and gold dust. Favor usually means an interruption of your plans. Remember the old time when they used to interrupting your current broadcast for whatever? You know why they could? Because they had the power to do that. They had a favor, that favor with all the news outlets to interrupt your life. And when you're looking at God and asking for favor on your life, be willing for him to give it to you in a way you don't necessarily like. And that song, You Can't Always Get What You Want, is constantly playing in my head right now. How about this one? You remember the old school, Favor Ain't Fair? And we used to think that meant, like, because Elaine got a Mercedes and Dad got a Ford Focus, favor ain't fair. How about this? Favor's not fair because favor means interruption. Maybe favor isn't e equal to the, the heavens of, of finances pouring down on me, but it is equal to walking in divine destiny. And the weird part is, is that the stronger the destiny that God calls for you, it seems like the greater the interruption. If God is continually ripping your plans apart, he's got big plans for you. Because when he interrupts, he favors. But favor doesn't mean to gain or to lose something. Favor means being interrupted by God. The second thing, I, I, when I read this story in Luke chapter 2 of, of Mary, is that Whoever God favors, he always interrupts. We, we understand the importance that Jesus, sorry, we need to understand the importance that wherever Jesus enters, interruptions take place. From the moment of his 
conception to Mary, he interrupted her life. To the moment he dies, he interrupts the nations. Every time Jesus walks through a door, interruptions take place. Even good ones. Everyone's locked in the upper room. Jesus walks in. It's a ghost. He interrupted what they were doing at that moment. Two men are walking after he dies. He interrupts them by having a conversation. Everywhere Jesus goes, he causes mass interruption. And in our lives today, every single time he shows up, he should be interrupting your life. The Bible says that no man can come to the Father unless first beckoned or interrupted by him and drawn to himself. In other words, if you are saved, he interrupted your normal scheduled programming to do what he wanted to do. He always interrupts us and convicts us of sin. Some of y'all were living your best life, and then all of a sudden you're like, where'd that conviction come from? At a party, doing your thing, having fun, whatever it is, and all of a sudden you had this gut-wrenching, I don't like this anymore. He stops and interrupts. He interrupts your thought life on a regular basis, or at least he should be. <clears throat> and, and I would make a bold statement, and I understand absolutes aren't always fun as a pastor, uh, but I'll say this, if you claim to be a Christian and claim to have Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you can never point to a moment where he interrupted your life, I would ask yourself, are you even saved? Because if my life was awesome before Jesus, and I got Jesus and nothing changed, maybe I didn't need him to start with. Because if you can't find yourself lost, broken, and a sinner needing his interruption in your life, you never submitted yourself to his process. He interrupts my thought life. And this is a, a, a scale that I use. Um, and I don't have a cool one-liner or anything fun that you can write down, but maybe you guys can get the heart of what I'm about to say, is this. Is, is that when he interrupts my thought life... It looks something like this. If I'm thinking about something, I have a plan of something, and I, have you ever had an option, you think that's the right thing, and then you listen to your spirit, you listen to your gut, and it agrees with your thought life, and then you do it, and nothing changes, you probably weren't listening to God. So here's the big thing, is that when my heart wants to do something, but peace tells me to do something else. I have to go with his interrupting voice. And if every time I listen to Pete and my life is not changing for the better spiritually, I'm not actually listening to an interrupting presence of the Holy Spirit. I'm listening to my flesh. Your flesh speaks and your spirit speaks. And your spirit will always interrupt the flesh from talking. But you have a choice to listen to it or not. See, interrupting my plans may not always be the enemy. There are moments in my life where my plans that were destroyed, 100% the devil. Or Pete, same thing, whatever. But then there's moments in my life where I point back and go, God interrupted my plans and it's not a bad thing. Lillian Trasher was born in Georgia as a young girl. She felt called to serve Jesus. She was raised Catholic, and, and in her teenage years, she decided to, on her own, without any kind of big life change, um, decided to uh, become a Protestant and, and, and left the Catholic Church, enrolled herself into Bible college, and lasted one semester. She gets out of college. It didn't go her way. She gets her first job out of her first semester in college at an orphanage and begins to work there. She meets a young man, falls in love, gets engaged, and continually has this desire to start orphanages in Africa. Ten days before her wedding, he announced, I'm not going to Africa with you. And she had a choice. Do I stay with my plans with this man or do I shift and do what my heart's been telling me to do? And 10 days before her wedding, she calls off her wedding. Against all counsel, she took her life savings 
got on a ship and went to Africa. She arrives in Africa, in Egypt, and has no idea what her next step is supposed to be. A woman comes to her that finds a baby on the street and asks Miss, Miss Lillian to take care of this baby. She said, absolutely, I can do that. A couple of days later, a man says, my wife just died and I can't do this. Can you take my baby? I can take your baby. It was at that moment that she said, it dawned on her that my first job when my plans didn't go well was at an orphanage. And that maybe my plans of going to college and getting married and all of these things have been an interruption orchestrated by God for his divine moments. To this day, the orphanage that she founded is the largest orphanage in the world, taking care of over 1,200 children daily. In 1961, she passed away and they buried her in Egypt with the name on her tombstone, Mama Lillian. When your plans don't go your way, it's not always the devil. Sometimes God orchestrates your plans. He leads your footsteps. You're going to tell me that she didn't have a hard decision to make leaving college? Have a hard decision to make leaving a man that was secure and financially? A hard decision to leave her family and go to Africa when they said not to go? To go to a place she had no idea about? It's not that she had the internet. She had to go blindly and figure it out. You're not going to tell me that was hard, but... Her heart followed because God interrupted her plans. Karl Barth was a pastor and a theologian. His future and his plans at this moment in his life sounds so much, God, sounds so great, is to write a 13-volume set of church dogmatics. Kill me now. That's what he wanted to do for the rest of his life, was work on his 13-volume set. He loved research, loves helping people. He loved to connect the church people to what the church believes in the dogma. Unfortunately for this Swiss pastor and theologian, he lived in a country called Germany. And unfortunately at that time, there was a new man coming to power by the name of Adolf Hitler. In 1934, the Protestant church was finding itself in Germany, aligning itself with Nazism. Pledging allegiance to everything that was Hitler and what he believed. And in 1934, Barth wrote the Barman Declaration. This declaration rejected the influence of Nazism on German Christianity by arguing that the church should not be aligning itself to anyone but the Lord Jesus. And the church should give impetus and resources in the resistance of the influence of this demonic oppression such as the Fuhrer. He mailed this directly to the Fuhrer himself. It was, the founding, was one of the founding documents of the Confessing Church, and Barth was the leading member of its council. Because he was a Swiss citizen, Hitler deported him back to Switzerland. He continued from that spot to send letters, support, and organizations. All because he, he refused to swear an oath to Adolf Hitler. As a side note, he outed every pastor that would. He wasn't planning on doing this. Can I tell you, sometimes you have an angel visitation and sometimes you have an holy shaking. And all you know what to do is do the right thing at the right moment. You don't know the consequences. We all know who Hitler was. He did not. He just saw an angry man with a messed up mustache. He didn't realize that after that letter was going to be sent, six million Jews were going to die. He didn't realize the war was going to break out. He had no context of, I'm mailing this to the most evil man in modern history. Let's see what he does. All he knew was, that's not okay, and I can't stand for it. I'm not okay for that. And he didn't realize that his one action of being interrupted and no longer writing his volume set was going to set a course to revolutionize the Protestant church in Germany. 
And because of his action, people like Bonhoeffer stood up. Other men who wrote big documents, who died by the gas chambers, stood praying against Nazism because of a man who decided to stand up for what was right. And in our own church, God interrupts people, even today. Pastor Allen had his plans. He had everything set up the way it was going. He had no intention of having a visitation by God. He was living his life day by day. Yet, God showed up to him in that room and interrupted all of his plans. And one of the biggest things that he did is he interrupted a, who is now a, not currently, a former drug dealer living life crazy and in that moment, he doesn't look at him and breed him down of all of his stuff. But what he does is he reminds him of who he was called to be as a child. In other words, Alan, your life is going this way, but I see your life going this way. We're going to take a timeout. We're going to take a timeout right now and let you decide. What are you going to do? See, we have these Kairos moments. Kairos moments are just time floating through air. We have these moments of God that he also comes through and he just, he just takes a time out. On Friday night, I was at a football game and it was the most frustrating thing because as they're progressing and play after play after play, the other coach goes, time out, time out. And what's he doing? He's calling a time out to disrupt their flow. And there's moments in our lives and maybe today is one of them where God's going, time out, time out. I'm going to give you an option today. What are you going to do? We're taking a time out today to say, are you going to be interrupted and take this path? Or are you going to keep going? And the crazy thing is, when it disrupted their flow, they had a hard time getting back into the rhythm again. When God interrupts, it should cause a shaking in your life to go, I'm not sure what I'm going to do next. Making a decision to follow Christ with your heart should never be a rash, emotional decision. Is there emotion involved? Absolutely there is. But you have to count the cost. And here's what I'm going to promise you. Absolutely nothing. I'm not going to promise you today that if you follow Christ like Mary did, everything's going to be beautiful and they're going to write about you and they're going to, they're going to talk about you for 2,000 more years about how much faith you had in that moment. I'm not going to promise you that when you do all the things that God's going to go, hey, high five, Here's $100 million. I'm not going to promise you that if you follow Christ, you're always going to be in health and have everything that you want. I'm not going to promise you that you're going to get married. I'm not going to promise you that you're going to have kids. I'm not going to promise you that you're going to see grandkids. I'm not going to ever promise you that people aren't going to talk about you, that they're not going to ostracize you, because I promise you they will. But today's a day in our life where we can no longer take Christianity as an addition to my life and ask myself, am I willing to give up everything for what I call my Lord and Savior? Or is he just a repeat after me prayer and I go back to my normal scheduled program? Because can I tell you something? God wants to be more than a second thought in your life. The American church loves Jesus as their Savior, and they hate Him as their Lord. We want Him to save us from our sins, but we don't want to look at our Lord and go, what do you want from me in my life? Because if He is your Lord, my life is no longer my own. It is yours. Do with it as you wish. We're raising up this generation that's just mind-boggling to do what you want, when you want, how you want, because it's your body, it's your mind, it's your time, it's you, 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 but it's not. There has to be a moment in our lives where we go, this isn't mine. And if it is, I am a horrible manager of myself because it's not working out the way I want it to. And we have this moment in our lives where Mary had to make a decision is he going to be the God of my synagogue and listen to stories? Or am I going to look at him today and say, interrupt my life, God? And I understand all that takes place.
I think if you look at Mary and ask her, would you like to be the mother of our Lord? She would have said yes, but first, let me do X, Y, and Z. I think everybody here would say, absolutely, I would take that responsibility, God, but let me do my other things first. Let me get all my stuff together the way that I want it to go first. And, and Luke 9, 59, it says this, and he said to another, follow me. And that guy says, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said, let the dead bury their dead. But you go and preach. Another also, Lord, I, I'll follow you, but let me first go and say goodbye to all who are at my house. And Jesus says, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom. God, I want to serve you as long as I get married and I have my kids. God, I want to serve you as long as I never have sickness in my life. God, I want to serve you as long as all my bills are always paid and I'm never stressed out of my money. God, I want to serve you as long as I'm, I'm happy and I'm wealthy and I'm wise. God, I want to serve you as long as I get the job that I want, as long as I get the promotion that I want. God, I want to serve you as long as people like me. God, I want to serve you as long as there's no issues in my life. But the moment there's the slightest hiccup, where are you, God? No! God is God, you are not. God, I want to serve you. Nothing needs to be said after that. God, my life is yours, and shut up. Preconditioned Christianity is not Christianity. If all of my life to God is preconditioned, I'm not giving Him my all. I'm always holding a section aside. There's always a plan B. You don't barter with the king of the universe. What are we thinking? I have done that so many times in my life. I'm going to read, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to fast. And God, I want this out of that. What am I, bartering with God? So you're telling me, Pete, you're going to do what you should be doing it's like my kids coming to me, hey, Dad, I cleaned my room, 20 bucks. No. I feed you, I clothe you, you take care of it. God, I'll serve you, but I want X, Y, and Z. Can I tell you, you're not the number one draft pick that has the opportunity <laughs> to negotiate as if you're welcome, God, here I am. What are we doing? No. See, planning is a great thing. But we should always stay flexible and willing to submit to God. To not only tweak our plans, but radically change our plans. We make, my, we make our plans based on what we see at this time in our lives. And as time goes on and the more that we do things, the more you should see his plans superseding in your life. Many never progress in the will of God, though, and it's sad to watch. Because their plans are never absent of the preconceived notions to step out of their comfort zone. If it's hard, it's not God. When did that come in? Like, I, don't, I don't understand in church history when that became part of our dogma. If it's painful... You're out of the will of God because God wouldn't allow anyone to have hard moments to deal with any kind of pain. Did you read the Bible? Of his best friends, one of them lived. And that's because he survived being, you know, boiled alive. Doesn't sound fun to me. What are we doing? I, I'm, I'm truly at a loss from the, this idea that Christianity equals being comfortable. Because Christianity is supposed to be somewhat uncomfortable. The world hated me. It hates you. My biggest problem is, is if the world is accepting all that I am, what am I doing? The world is getting darker. I don't know if you've noticed that. And if it's getting worse and I'm staying in the flow of being accepted, what does that mean about me? 
Have you noticed that we live in a world where at the slightest moment of disagreement, you are completely disowned and dishonored? So how about this? If no one is disowning you and no one is dishonoring you, why? Well, you know, I see what's happening. I'm just going to be a silent Christian. Why? I'll be, listen, I'll just be praying. I'll just, can I tell you sometimes, and, and, and I'm, I'm not trying to say that we have to be on a corner and telling everyone turn or burn, but I am going to tell you this. If your friends know you're a Christian and your friends know that you follow Christ and you're silencing about all the issues of their life, silence equals agreement. If I'm looking at my friend like, you know what, it's been rough, and they open up a bunch of rat poison to take a drink, and I go, hmm. I, I, I'm pretty confident I would be an accessory right now. Now what's happening right now is that we have so many spiritual Dr. Kevorkians walking around right now helping people in spiritual suicide. It's mind-boggling. Well, I was there, God. You didn't change their hearts. Maybe he wanted to use your mouth. Maybe you were supposed to open your voice. Maybe you are supposed to say, I love you enough to say, that's poisonous. Well, I don't know all their issues. You don't have to know all everyone's issues to go, you're dying. And you can look at them and say, I don't have all the answers, but that ain't working. That's not okay. I don't want to offend anybody. You should. Offending somebody means this. They're going in a singular course of direction and you're saying, hey, 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 hey wrong way. You need to go this way. Can I tell you? I was at a, a pancake breakfast years and years and years and years ago at Applebee's. Years ago. And we're sitting there listening and I'm... I'm eating my food, my pancakes, and all the fun stuff. And the table next to me is talking about directions. And this is what they're saying, Applebee's and Prattville. Oh, to get to Birmingham, yeah, you want to take a right, head towards, remember where Kmart used to be is Club 4. Now take a right down there, and you're going to go that direction a few miles, and you're going to take a left on 31 to go, to go south. To which you go, time out. Horrible directions. Who are you? I'm your savior. You're ending up in Montgomery. So here's what you want to do. You want to take a left and then go north on 65. How horrible was I? I'm just the worst person ever. How dare you, Pete, interrupt their, their plans? I'm talking about eventually they would have made it to Birmingham and go, this ain't working. No one's life was at stake. Oof, where they were going to Montgomery, maybe at that time. Um, but no one's life was at stake. But now I'm looking at people and going, well, if I, if I say something, then I'm going to offend them, and they're definitely not going to get saved. Can I tell you this? I don't look at everybody and go, hey, 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 you're a sinner, and you are horrible. God's mad at you. But I will look at somebody and say, he loves you enough to say, this is not going to work out for you. If you can't do that, you're not a friend. It doesn't mean you have all the answers. I can tell them how to get to Birmingham-ish. But if they want to know how to get to 42nd Street West, if there is one, don't know if there is, I don't know. I'm going to go 65 North. Good luck. So in other words, I have enough information of this conversation to say what you're doing isn't working, but I can't give you direction for the rest of your life, just this singular moment. In other words, I don't have to know everything and have my life fully together to tell someone how to get to somewhere else. But when I'm perfect, then I'll tell everyone, no. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. Paul also said, there is no sinner greater than Paul. Which means Paul had issues. And was public about it. In Acts chapter 8, we see a guy named Philip. 
He's having success in a citywide revival in Samaria. And if you understand church planning, when you have momentum, you keep going. The worst time to take vacation is when you have momentum. God tells Philip, stop what you're doing. And go down south from Jerusalem to Gaza. In other words, I want you to completely turn your back on what's taking place right now. He didn't know the full extent of God's strategy. But one thing that he did is he walks over beside a chariot. And he sees an Ethiopian man. And the man is distraught because he doesn't understand what's going on. Philip sits down and takes time to have a conversation with this man. Philip left, left a revival to meet one man. The numbers don't add up. The problem was, is that by meeting this singular man, he created an entire region in Ethiopia to be turned around for the things of God. He left a small revival and transferred into a nation revival. I believe that there's a difference between a calling and an assignment. And there's a lot of times in our lives that God steps in and interrupts what's currently going on to give you a new assignment. All of our military personnel understand this aspect. You had a plan, you get it over the radio, there's a new assignment, we just do it. God, that wasn't part of my plan. I wasn't planning on doing that today. Yeah, well, new assignment. Acts chapter 16, Paul was completely shocked that God wanted him to preach to Gentiles. Acts chapter 10, Peter rebukes God because he has a dream about eating meat that he shouldn't be eating. Lo and behold, he meets and, and sets a revival for those people. Genesis, God changes Abraham's plans. David had all intentions of being a shepherd. Not running for his life for years. It's cool to be king. The process was no fun. Peter was going to be a fisherman. Matthew, a tax collector. All of the men and women, Mary had plans. Everybody had plans. And when Jesus shows up, he interrupts your plans. The question we have to ask ourselves in closing is, am I willing for God to interrupt my plans? Am I willing for God to stop every moment of my life and redirect it? Am I willing and flexible when things aren't working out the way that I thought they should at that moment? And when I see my life, do I see it according to the gospel of Pete? Or am I looking at him going, not my will, but your will be done. My life is yours. Do with it as you will. If you want to spill it out for the world, spill it out for the world. If you want to prosper me financially, prosper me financially. No matter what you do, God, I'm committed to you, like a marriage, in sickness and in health, in good times and bad, no matter what takes place, whatever you want, I'm here. That's what the faith is supposed to have been. I'm a nothing without you, Jesus. I will follow you to the ends of the earth, Jesus, no matter how it works. Because my faith in who you are is greater than anything that makes me comfortable. He can't make that jump. Maybe it's time that we reevaluate our faith. Have we believed a false version of Christianity? Because Christianity doesn't always equal comfort. I mean, Elaine's life is an exception. She's always been comfortable all her life. Never had an issue. 
ever follow God, he led her to a painful moment. No. It's my testimony that helps the nations. I am a fallen sinner, that I've made huge mistakes in my life, that I will live with issues for the rest of my life, but it's because of his sovereign grace and his mercy on my life that I said yes to who he was, and he makes something that was destroyed into something else. My life isn't my own. I've given up that will. If I die today, I die today. Like, it is what it is. Like, I hate to be that guy. It's not a bad confession, but if it's for the cross, by all means, whatever it takes, Jesus. If I lose everything, whatever it takes, Jesus. If I'm swinging for the fence to awaken you to a real Christianity and I lose it all, whatever it takes. I would much rather live my life looking and going, I did everything that I could do and it just didn't work out the way that I wanted it to versus I lived my life comfortably full of regret. Watching people live a fake Christianity. God has big plans for each and every one of you. Allow him to interrupt it. It's up to you. As it says, I put before you life and death. Choose. Choose. You choose. Father, today as we wrap this up, God, I just thank you for grace and mercy. God, I understand that there's moments in this message that are heavy and thought-provoking. But God, I just thank you that we don't take your word and our relationship with you lightly, callously. God, I just thank you that as we, we redirect and we think about all the things that you've called us to do, that God, you awaken inside of us a willingness to say yes at all costs to your will and your way. God, if that means interrupting our current plans, then interrupt our current plans. If that means that we have to stop what we're doing, then stop what we're doing. God, whatever it takes at all seasons of our life, we no longer live life our way, but your way. We submit fully our lives to you, Jesus, at all costs. With every head bowed still, no one's looking around. If you find yourself today going, Pete, I've lived a conditional Christianity, and, I, and I'm willing to say, God, at all, all, my, <laughs> all my heart, no matter what, no matter what, God, the good times and the bad, everything, God, I haven't truly made my life yours. If that's you and you say, Pete, I want to, to make that confession of my faith today, slide your hand up real quick. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Jesus, thank you. And here's what I want everyone to say. Those who raised your hand especially, but everybody to say this, say, Jesus, I give you my all. No conditions. Complete surrender. Whatever you want. Whatever you want me to do. God, I'm yours. Completely. Take this life. And make it mean something. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.